0: This podcast ponders how we will live in this COVID era.
1: What's on the horizon? What should we expect? Where are the opportunities? We explore the what's next in In The the Next next Normal.
2: You probably know Dave Trafford and daughter Erin Trafford from their work in news talk, radio, and television news. But the father-daughter duo are now part of the growing number of former media who've moved into podcasting. Collaborating on the Story Studio Network, a podcast production and branded content studio they co founded last May. Dave and Aaron join this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, to talk about making the leap from news to digital entrepreneurship, how the pandemic and industry layoffs propelled their journey, and why Aaron believes journalists make the best entrepreneurs.
0: I'm Dave Trafford, and I have the uh, distinction of having my name on the original license at CIUTFM, the University of Toronto Radio. We launched the station back in 1987, and it was January the 15th in an old house on the campus at U of T in downtown Toronto. And it was this kind of epic moment that I really didn't realize how important it was. We were really a startup by all accounts. And I think, oddly enough, here I am all these years later in another startup environment that has taken us into podcasting and, you know, branded content and that kind of thing with this journalistic bent. So one of the things that happened to me when I was at CIUT, I had the opportunity to be mentored uh, by Ted Randall. Ted Randall was a legend in Canadian and, and American radio. And for a while was uh, at 1050 Chum in the heyday when they were playing top 40. Eventually became the president and general manager at CHFI. And, you know, it was just a juggernaut of a station in them. And, you know, Ted was at a point in his career where he was finished with broadcasting, but was doing some consulting. And I don't know how we crossed paths, but we did. And the best advice he gave me was to accomplish your market and then move on. And that's advice that's stuck with me for nearly 40 years. And it's advice that I have imparted to uh, other young broadcasters and journalists. And I think it's probably one of those things that you kind of have to keep coming back to, given the state of the industry. It has changed so much. And I think that where we fall down as broadcasters, we fall down as journalists, is that we, 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 we lose touch with that i.e. what are we accomplishing and can we accomplish more in the market? And I use that sort of generically. So it's taken me all the way through to where we are now. And I mean, with stops and CKOC and Hamilton, think about it then back in the early 80s, in the mid 80s, we had a newsroom of 15 people. I mean, I can't imagine that there are AM radio stations in the country that have 15 people on staff anymore. But it was a great place to be. Uh, had the great opportunity then to move to Toronto worked at q one o seven and cfgm It was a country station then. Maybe the most fun I had was when we flipped formats from country to hard rock on six forty and we became went from Cfgm to a m six forty the hog and we had a positioning statement it was a m six forty the hog everybody sucks but us. <laughs> And we we had we had a newsroom that was set up and almost um, modeled after the Big Eight news in Windsor. And it was hard-boiled and got us into some trouble. I mean, I got complaints from the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council because of, you know, ways I had phrased certain things in the newscast. So Bill Carroll was the news director at the time, and he spent more time bailing us out of trouble um, on that format than now. Uh, we had, but, but we had a ball. And I learned a lot in that environment about connecting with your audience because we were talking to an audience that didn't consume news. And this was the time when the first Iraq war was going on. And we, you know, it was the wacky Iraqis and all this, this is nonsense. It was cartoonish, but we connected. And it was, I probably never had a better lesson in how to write for radio than doing that in the moment. I went on to become the uh, the news director there at Q and uh, 640. We made the uh, flip from sort of, uh, I guess, a hybrid talk music format to talk 640. And uh, hung around there, survived, so to speak, the Wick Wars when Can uh, West and Shaw were fighting over who was going to get the, uh, the entrails of what was left of uh, Wick broadcasting after Frank Griffiths died. And uh, anyway, it all worked out and it became um, necessary for me to move on and was lucky enough to uh, land a gig at uh, 1010 CFRB in Toronto. So I was there for a good nine, 10 years, lots of great experiences, got the, you know, report from five world capitals, every province in the country. Um, it, and it was just one of those things that, you know, you talk about career moments and it was just at the right time in my career to be there. Ultimately, uh, moved on to a gig that I'm not sure I wanted (laughs) at Global, uh, but I ended up being the managing editor at Global Toronto, eventually went on to be the news director there. And our gig was set out to say, how is it that we can revive the Dinner Hour newscast? And I said, well, you have to reinvent it. And so it was a whole matter of rebranding, looking at the reinvention of what was the dinner hour newscast going to look like? What was the dinner hour anchor look like? What's the role of all that? So we did some very deep research. We brought in uh, Graham Newell to to, to help us with this whole project. And uh, needless to say, uh, they lost patience. And so uh, Global left me in uh, 2015. And I went out into the uh, eat what you kill world. And um, here I am now and started doing podcasts almost immediately out of that environment and realized that people were uh, prepared to uh, create their own content. And what I didn't realize, and again, I'm back to that notion that Ted Randall imparted, accomplish your market. It came down to understanding what value do you bring as a broadcaster and as a journalist? And at the first blush, I thought, who the hell's gonna pay me to do any of the skills that I have? And then I realized, okay, there are people who've made connections with me because they are my audience and making that connection with the audience was really important. So yeah, there's a real opportunity there. I got into it at the right time. And then fast forward to March of 2020, I was producing, you know, two or three branded podcasts, including uh, chatter that matters with Tony Chapman. And all of a sudden, I don't know why, but, out of the woodwork, people were coming to me saying, can you produce a podcast for us? And at the height of the summer of 2020, I was producing 10 shows and I had only pitched one. So there was clearly a market there. There's an appetite for audio on demand, for branded audio on demand, and there's a right way to do it. And I think we've kind of come, we've landed in the right place. So I was lucky enough to, you know, kind of have that momentum behind me. In the meantime, I was back doing weekend mornings on News Talk 1010 and having a ball doing it. But it got to a point where I was working seven days a week uh, and I'm not, you know, 59 anymore. So I decided that I needed to step back from it. And one of the reasons I wanted to do it is because last May, I bounced an idea off of Erin and she said, Great idea. And this has blossomed and and really kind of taken off into a whole new business offering that she and I are now working on. So, um, you know, I, I just think I'm back to my startup feel that I had at CIUT and I'm having a ball doing it.
1: I'm Aaron Trafford. I am a broadcaster, a journalist. And the truth of the matter is that 20 years into this journey, I think fundamentally at my core, what I really am is an entrepreneur. And I think my journey through broadcast has continuously reinforced that journalists are likely the best kind of entrepreneur out there. So so this all really started for me, I mean, you could say from the time I was a preschooler, because yes, I am the daughter of a, an accomplished award-winning broadcaster. But I think for me I there's this moment in time that is it'll forever be stuck in my brain as the day that I realized a couple things a how cool radio people are or at least I thought they were and b the power of the medium and that it was really that moment when I decided this is this is so cool I need to devote my life to this and it was the moment when CFTR in Toronto flipped formats from being the cool station, the top 40 station to being the all news station. And I remember the day that they flipped and became 680 news. And I was like 11 years old. And I was sitting in front of our old uh, radio in the middle of our living room. And and I, dad said, Aaron, sit there and turn on the radio to 680 and just listen to what's going to happen. And sure enough, the format flipped. And I remember just this full body sensation of like, this is a big deal. The news is a big deal. Being you know, well-versed enough and smart enough and eloquent enough and, and all of those things to tell the news on the radio. As a 10 or 11-year-old kid, I was like, this is just, this is what I want to do do for the rest of my life. So I think, you know, besides the fact that my dad worked in a newsroom and I was just steeped in the newsroom culture, that moment really changed things for me. So I, you know, I went on and I did everything that you're supposed to do. You know, I did the internships in high school and I worked, you know, at the local newspaper and I did some work in local radio and so on and so forth. And then I went and I got a very expensive, relatively useless degree at University of Toronto, but it was fun. But I was still being drawn into this kind of world of journalism and broadcasting. I couldn't, I couldn't quit it, despite the fact that, like, let's be honest, like financially, it didn't make a lot of sense. Like, there's not, you're not going into radio to get rich. You're going into radio because you love it. So I ended up going to Western and doing, you know, my master's degree in journalism. I think really because I just needed to have this piece of paper that proved my passion to the world. And uh, my first job when I left grad school um (laughs) was at the moose fm in north bay and what was so cool about that job is that we were launching the station halliburton broadcasting chris grossman owned it at the time and he had just gotten the license Uh, he had bought the station and was allowed to launch a brand new radio station in in the market it wasn't even a format flip it was a brand new station And I got to be there and experience that energy of flipping that switch and starting something new. And so when I look at the thread of my career, it's always just been, I want to be part of something new and tell great stories in new ways. And that's, I remember the first book we had when we came out of the gates at the Moose, you know, I think the station went live in August and we we got that first ratings book that fall and we had something just stupid like a 50% market share and i remember chris grossman looking at me and saying you're hosting morning show on a station with a 50% market share. And he said, Aaron, you should just quit now because it's never going to be this good again. And at the time I was like, yeah, right. And he was kind of right because that's an obscene like market share to have. But boy, we had so much fun. And you know, I moved from there, I talking about accomplishing the market. I moved from there, spent some time really thinking about what I wanted to do as a journalist and decided to take a trip out east and see what the rest of Canada had to offer. Ended up working on the news desk for quite a long time at News 95.7 out here in Halifax and then eventually made the jump to TV. So I ended up at Global Halifax for a couple of years. But the interesting thing with my path versus what I think is the traditional broadcast news reporter anchor path is that somewhere... I had this voice in the back of my head telling me that the industry was going to lose itself, that there was this digital wave that was coming. And, you know, this would have been around, what year would this have been? 2010, maybe? I could feel it. I could just feel this undercurrent. And so off the side of my desk in my tiny 600 square foot condo, I started a blog. At the time, I was kind of ashamed that I had done it and I didn't tell anybody that I did it until that blog started to grow and grow and grow to the point where I was getting recognized just as much for being on the radio and on TV as I was for writing this blog. And over time, the coolest thing happened is that you know my blog and my ability to create content that mattered in the digital space, and not only that, but get people to read it and engage with it, became a bigger moneymaker for me than my newsroom salary. So I like to say (laughs) I kind of took my ball and left the playground seven years ago now, almost to the day, and I have been telling stories in the digital space ever since, and part of that has become podcasting. Back in 2020, when I re- saw what my dad was doing, producing so many podcasts, and he came to me with a business idea and he said, do you think we can make this go? And I said, of course we can, because you put two journalists, accomplished journalists and broadcasters in the same room together, and you're going to have this groundswell of ideas and of passion and of possibility. But then you add on top of that, the fact that over the last seven years, I have built two digital content businesses and effectively a digital content agency. And it felt like we were going to be unstoppable. Like we had stumbled again on one of those moments in time when we were flipping the switch on what it meant to tell stories, create content, and be in a new media space. So that's sort of where I find myself now. I went from being this cub reporter and keener journalist, radio nerd, to being the CEO of two content companies, one of which is a burgeoning podcast production company. And it's been a wild ride and it's just, it's, it's awesome.
2: Well, I think we were working together when you launched DIY Passion, and and I I don't know if we ever had the conversation, but I do remember that there was, I, I would call it an underlying restlessness in that I could sense that you were looking for a way where you could still create content, but outside the confines of that newsroom environment.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if it was that or, or it was frustration with the fact that the newsroom environment was so restricted by what we thought the digital space needed to be, that it wasn't optimizing what the digital space can be. And, you know, even to this day, I think that the, the big guys, frankly, just still don't get it. Like they just don't get it. They the, the digital, they say digital first, digital first, but that is not at all what they're really embodying. And I think for me, you know, I, I I struggle with, did I leave out of frustration or did I leave out of possibility? And I actually think if I'm being honest, it was a little of column A and a little of column B because I was able to, little old me, get big advertisers who were also spending money on the big networks to spend relatively large money on me because I just understood how to articulate the value of content to them and to create conversions for them. So yeah, I I think restlessness is a good way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. So
2: it was actually a maternity leave that gave you the time to contemplate how to move forward with your own business.
1: It was, I, I, I cut the cord officially when um, my daughter was born and I just decided I'm going to go all in on this and, and make it work. And I didn't look back. So it w- it's it been effectively, you know, I've been making money doing that since about 2012, but my daughter was born in 2016. So.
2: So we've talked a little bit about the co-founding of Story Studio, but Dave, you've also had your own podcast production business Eye Contact for a number of years that's produced pods like On the Ledge, talking about issues coming out of Queen's Park. Are you also continuing with that venture? Where does Story Studio start and eye contact end?
0: Uh, it's, It's a great question because it was one of these things I was pondering over the last couple of weeks where we were looking at overlap. And I think what's what has happened here is the Story Studio Network provides what Aaron has described as this executive production service. And it goes considerably beyond what I was doing through eye contact productions so I think what will what's happening here is eye contact now has become more of the technical support that it has moved not just from podcasting but into, you know, live streaming, webinars, that kind of thing as well. So there's more of a technical view to it. It is more or less the um the studio where we will do the production part of what comes out of the story studio network. And it, 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 it's, it's, being folded into it. So for example, you know, on the ledge will be part of the offering that we put up in our stable of, of podcasts, uh, and the uh, story studio network. And similarly with other shows that we were doing. So the, the content itself lives in this, in the studio network, the content is produced through uh, eye contact.
2: It's very clear on your website that Story Studio is built around what you call a journalist's model. Do you want to talk about using some of the skills developed in news and translating that to podcasting and branded content?
0: I think the key is and we go back to this whole idea, and Aaron used the phrase, you know, and, and this was sort of this durager thing to throw around. We need to be digital first. That is the first mistake that major broadcasters made in putting it that way. What you need to be is audience first. And the only time that I have found a, a show or a station or a personality has been really engaging and done well in ratings is because at some point they have engaged that audience from the audience's point of view. They have put the audience first. Aaron and Mike in, in, in North Bay, got a 50 share on their on their station because somehow in all of that magic, the secret sauce was they put that North Bay audience first. And the audience saw themselves reflected in what they were doing on the radio. And that applies right now to podcasting. And I think it's one of the major mistakes that we make as broadcasters, as journalists. We think it's, well, you, this is a story people need to know about. Okay, let's think that through again. How is it reflecting the audience when you tell that story? And it's a nuanced thing. But I think that's the that's the skill and the value that good journalism brings. And as long as you are aware of that, you know, you can probably write your ticket and do a whole lot of things. And that would be why I would encourage other people, particularly who are looking for comms people, to look at hiring a journalist who's out there, many of whom are looking for work. They've got that kind of skill, but we don't, we don't see it that way. It's the storytelling opportunity. It's the storytelling skill that's critical, and they know how to put your audience first. So I, I think that's what we're bringing to the Story Studio Network.
1: And I, I can actually add to that too, Connie, because there's something in there that dad said that I like to bring from my side because the majority of my clients over the last seven years, I work with large organizations and and businesses. You know, I've, I've worked with Wayfair. I've worked with President's Choice, Hoover, Home Hardware. But I also work with a large number of small business owners and entrepreneurs to help them, what I, I say, develop a story-based lens. Because what we as broadcasters and journalists forsake, and I think my dad just put a very fine point on this, is how good we are at reflecting the audience back at them. And that actually is part of our secret sauce. It's part of our power. What businesses lack when they go out to sell things is that story-based lens. And what we have discovered is that through podcasting is that if you are a business owner, not just a content creator, that having that journalistic approach to your content can actually help you drive more sales and conversions. So on the consulting side of my business now, when I sit down with with businesses and they say, okay, we want to start a podcast, but like, man, what's the ROI on this going to be? We're able to draw very distinct lines between here is why a story-based approach to your content, i.e., using that journalistic story-based lens is going to help you in the long run because it's going to win hearts and minds. It's going to create more trust. It's going to create more credibility, and it's going to come across as absolutely authentic, genuine, and not slimy and slick and salesy. And you're going to end up better at the end, likely, on your balance sheet. So this Story Studio, having that journalist approach really kind of embodies everything that we're about in the sense that, yes, we want to be champions for storytelling, media, new media, doing things differently. But we also understand that there has to be a purpose to all of this too, right? So we don't just want to create content for sake of content. We want to have a a mission and a vision and And that's really, you know, the other side of that, the the other way to look at that.
2: Branded content and branded podcasts are an increasingly competitive business. Is it that journalists take that is the edge that you feel that you bring to the space?
1: Yeah, listen, I mean, I know lots of folks who are out there running podcast production companies, and I refer people to them all the time. I actually think that, you know, I'm not afraid of the the noise in the podcast space right now, I actually think it's a very exciting place to be. I was sitting in on a workshop last week. It was a great workshop with a guy from the UK who is also a former radio guy who has started a podcast company. So it's funny how that is happening more and more these days. And something that he said that really struck a chord with me is that right now in 2022, the podcast landscape vis-a-vis the types of services that are being offered, the way things are being monetized, the way things are being measured is very similar to the blogging industry back in 2020 or 2012. And I thought, oh, isn't that funny? Because that was the year that I launched my blog and I am now a decade into that journey. And I have people wanting to acquire my website because it's so large, because I stuck with it. I got scrappy. I learned how to make money. I figured out the industry as the industry was growing around me. And so, yeah, there's lots of podcast production companies out there. I do think the fact that Story Studio is built with that journalist eye is one of our leading edges. Absolutely. But I get excited every time I see somebody else say like they're getting into the podcast game, like just bring it on. It's the wild, wild west again. And that just means that more options for creativity, more options to do cool things. Like it's, yeah, it's fun.
2: One of the things I found really interesting on your site is that you talk about who Story Studio is for. Unconventional professionals, unafraid communicators, industry collaborators. Is there a client auditioning process from your end for whether a client is a good fit?
0: I don't know that it would be an auditioning setup. This is more based on a vetting process, shall we say, that more or less qualifies the relationship that we would have with them. So, for example, I keep coming back to the audience first. And that would be sort of this first discussion that we would have and and exploring first of all, as Aaron says why they would want to do a podcast, who it is they're talking to, et cetera. If in the course of that discussion, it turns out that they want it to be all about them, then they're in the wrong place, and we're happy to move them on and you know tell them where they can find the the services because we're going to end up putting a lot of resources and waste a lot of our own time and energy. We're not here to create an Instagram star, we're here to actually draw the story out and to see this sort of slow burn, if you will, in terms of the message around the the event, the message around the organization, whatever it may be. So there's a lot of, of that that goes into it at the front end, that that consultation process. And let's face it, much of it's based on our own networks and the chemistry that we would have with anybody. And we're lucky enough to be able to, I I wouldn't say pick and choose, but to be able to have that kind of upfront vetting process. And so far we've been lucky and we've, we've landed some really cool uh, projects. We're working on one with the daily bread food bank here in Toronto. uh, And it's been all about the mission to reduce poverty. They are relying on us to bring the journalistic lens to, you know, what can be kind of down in the weeds, wonkish policy stuff and to really bring it to life. And the, and the most interesting thing is at the end of it, when we had finished season one, the CEO at the at the food bank said, wow, that was great because I learned a lot. And it, it, that just, my eyes lit up. I thought, holy cow, this this is the guy who is in the industry. He listened to the show that we produced with him and he learned a lot. So it illustrated to me that we managed to do a good job of putting the audience first there. It wasn't about the food bank. It wasn't about the CEO. It was about the people who needed to understand the you know, the difficulties of living on the verge of poverty. And we have seen so much of that, obviously, during the pandemic. So it's that sort of process. It's very much sort of a hands-on, almost a chemistry thing.
2: Right. Now, geographically, Dave, you're in Toronto, and Aaron, you're in Nova Scotia. Tell me about how the Story Studio operation works.
0: An hour ahead of time here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess the benefit of... of uh this all happening the way that it did is that, uh, and the reason I I won't say I was completely, you know, I I had it all figured out, but, When we launched Story Studio uh, effectively in May of 2021, my consulting business had a lot of that infrastructure already set up. So in terms of just like, you know, we we talk every day on Slack, Uh, we have team meetings every Monday on Zoom with, you know, our our production staff and our production manager, uh, Jamie, who started out as my executive assistant and has now just built herself a role within story studio and safe to say, I don't think we could run this show without her. So um, yeah, we manage and we, and we make do and it's working out. I mean, I think it's great. I actually think it gives us, um, it, it makes it easier. We don't, we don't have to pay for office space or anything. We work out of our basements.
0: <laughs> well, you know what, you know what, just as you're talking, it really, it occurs to me, this never would have happened if, if the pandemic had not come along. Because we never really would have seriously considered the idea of using, you know, platforms like you're using, Connie, Zencaster. We have mm-hmm. some sort of a similar remote bra, uh, uh, recording platform that we can use. And it ever sounds like everybody's in the same room. If And none of this technology would have, I guess, evolved as quickly as it has if it hadn't been for the pandemic. Now, don't get me wrong. Not cheering for COVID-19 here. But it occurs to me that we probably would have, been slow to this. If we would have gotten to it at all, uh, if the pandemic had never sort of forced us, as Aaron says, to create
1: studios in your basement. Yeah, or just like I think it was also that. I mean, I remember the conversation we had, Dad, when you called me. So here, here's really how it happened, Connie, because this is what's been happening since I started my own business, and then when Dad left the news biz, I can share this. I'll get a text message, and it'll say, uh, "Hey, Aaron, uh, you got a qu- got a minute for a quick chat?" That, that's what the text message will say. And I know that what that is, is we need to have a business conversation that's not gonna be five minutes. This is gonna be a 90 minute strategy session and figure out how things are gonna unfold. So I got one of those texts back into whatever it was, April. And uh, I thought, okay, you know what? Like dad really needs to, he needs to get this idea off his chest. And I remember when we had this conversation and I said, there is nothing stopping us from doing this anymore. And you're right. If this had been quote unquote normal times, I think we may have felt more caged in by the way it needed to be. But the other thing that we we have, we're kind of dancing around this, but the other thing that happened in 2021 that really lit a fire under this being the exact right time for a company like Story Studio Network to step out and frankly claim, you know, stake a claim in the market is that there was a whole whack of layoffs of really really talented broadcasters and journalists across the country that unfolded in Q1 of 2021. And if I could be so bold as to say that that at a, at a at a heart-based soul-based you know at the core of my journalist self, I felt very injured by by that. And I felt like I needed to find a way to create a space, i.e. a company that could permit all of that talent that was now floating out there in the ether, a place to continue to tell great stories. So one of the missions we have with story studio is to grow it so that we can tap into all of the resources that are out there. Journalists, reporters, people who feel vocationally called to tell great stories. We want to give them a platform and match them with clients, with organizations and with brands who want great journalists to tell their stories. So this was a little bit reactive to that in the sense that I was mad and I didn't want to take it anymore. And you know, it's working out. <laughs> I think having that fire lit and the the combination of the pandemic and the layoffs really just, that was what did it for us.
2: So is the plan to be able to hire some more former media people?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a hundred percent. That is my, that it would be my dream. I mean, I, I think I was put on this planet to A, be a journalist and be an entrepreneur, but there is a part of me that feels very much called to create a new space with new rules because I, I've lived them. I didn't play by the rules. I left corporate media, quote unquote, at the top of my game. I was on track to become the six o'clock anchor. I could have gone to Toronto. I was getting all of the interviews. Like everything was happening for me and I walked away of my own volition I didn't get fired. I didn't get laid off. I said no more. I said, this is not working for the way a people are consuming media b i th- I feel that it's not wasn't serving anybody really very well. we It just got too murky, and the industry got too political and it just was too hard to get stuff out there. So call me a cowboy or a cowgirl or whatever. That's fine. I'm willing to be that person at the tip of the spear, so. This is what I want this business to become. And I really feel that it can. In fact, I know it can. I I know that, you know, call me in a year and we'll be having a different celebratory conversation.
2: I want to talk about having the courage to take that leap into the Mm -hmm. digital space and entrepreneurship, because I think there are a lot of former journalists that are happy once they've made that leap, but there's a psychological barrier. Do you have any advice for former media workers who are looking for a path forward?
1: You're going to make me cry, Connie. And I didn't expect that, but it is funny because my podcast, my my business podcast that I do weekly is called permission to leap. And I I sat with the title, what I was going to call it. And I, I think dad, I texted you and I was like, what do you think about the name of this permission to leap? And he was like, yep, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have been leaping my whole life. and and I have had many conversations with journalists who are finding themselves disillusioned, finding themselves unemployed. And here's my advice to them. It's twofold. First of all, you don't know how valuable you are. We undervalue ourselves at every step of the way. And that manifests in a multitude of ways. It manifests in not asking for the for work, in not proposing saying I can do this. It, it actually manifests as a lack of assert of assertiveness. It manifests in undercharging and over-delivering, which when you're an entrepreneur, that's a very, very hard nut to crack, but you gotta get over that. And you need the support to, to learn how to get over that. But that's how it manifests. And I see it in journalists, former journalists all the time. It manifests in what I would call a repeat pattern of feeling like you have to keep going back to the same trough and taking the same job across the street and then losing that job and then going across the street and then losing that job and then going across the country and then a repeat pattern of lateral moves. And I think if you were a journalist or a broadcaster and you're sitting there and you're feeling like, oh my gosh, this is unsustainable and you're afraid to leap, I would then say, really, what are you more afraid of? the change or everything staying the same? Because there are so many options out there. And just by being enterprising and by being a little bit of a visionary and having a tiny bit of courage, you can not only change your life, but you can create a very, very satisfying business. I mean, I'm, I'm living proof. I'm happy to take anyone's call you want to talk about it. I will offer free therapy sessions for recovering journalists <laughs> any day of the week.
0: <laughs> well, well, you know, just the the, the whole idea of uh, that, that you're a recovering journalist, and I have put on my, you know, my, my profiles, I'm a recovering news director. And it, it feels a little bit like that at times. But I'll take you back to the day that I got fired at Global. And I literally uh, sitting in the kitchen, okay, now, it's not what am I going to do? It was, where am I going to do it? Because I, you know, and I I had to almost learn what I know all over again because I had to recontextualize what my skills were. So it took me probably a good three or four months of spending on a daily basis, kind of, and it was, you know, effectively journaling, I guess, to write it all down, kind of come to a point where I learn what I know. And then to Aaron's point, I was able to say, now there's value in it. But one of the things that I would suggest to any journalists who are there, uh, particularly broadcasters, if you find yourself on the wrong end of that HR meeting, first, have that awareness, learn what you know. But the second thing is, and I realized this early, that your network is not other journalists. It's your network is not the broadcast industry for a couple of reasons. First, it's a shrinking group so they're not really going to be able to give you the kind of job that you necessarily would like to accomplish the market the network that you really want to get to is the people who know you for what you do and i know that sounds you know the old adage was it's not who you know but it's not what you know but who you know it that's true to an extent it's not what you know it's who you know who knows what you do and how well you do it And all of those jobs that came to me in the summer of 2020 were from people who knew me as a broadcast journalist. And so that kind of goes back to the whole heart and the root of Story Studio Network, that the skill and and what we bring to this and where people are responding to it is what we were doing on the radio, what we were doing on television. And that was making that connection with the audience. So it sounds so simple. It's one of those things that might be a hard thing to do. Uh, I remember the the best advice I got when I got to radio in Toronto was from Bill Carroll and we were doing air checks and Bill, he said, okay, this sounds fine but you sound like a broadcaster. And I thought, that's great. He said, no, not necessarily. He said, I'm gonna tell you to do the hardest thing possible when you open that microphone and get on the radio. I want you to sound like yourself. And as soon as that happened, click, things went on. So it was just that awareness of what you were able to bring to that relationship with the audience. Do not underestimate it. And Aaron's right. You know, we kind of get down this rabbit hole and we all think that, you know, it's got to be about the story. It's, yeah, it is, but it has to be about the audience. And just one other thing I'll share with you, and Aaron and I both encountered this over the last probably six or eight months, where people who have left the broadcast or the journalism industry, or they've been abandoned by it, however the case may be, they have taken jobs in agencies and God love them. There's a place for the agencies, but I'm telling you, they feel like caged animals, pacing the cage because they get into that environment and there's a complete lack of in their world now, this passion for the story, this ability to kind of get out and touch, see the audience, right? And I've encouraged these folks to say, to Aaron's point, you have permission to leap no parachute necessary, no net required. This is going to work for you. You just have to step out and put your skills to the test. And I guarantee you, there's going to be people who want it and there's money out there to be spent on it. And those who have not taken that advice, still pacing the cage and bitching about how unhappy they are.
2: I have to ask, because working with family, have there been any entrepreneurial father-daughter growing pains with founding the
1: network. No, dad just does everything I tell him to do. That's, that's how it works. <laughs> no, really. You know, it's, you're not the first to ask that. No, I, we're, because I, I think we, we approach, I don't know, dad, we've never actually verbalized this. So I'll say this on the podcast right now. We know we, we both are very, very clear on what we're trying to do. And the other thing I think about some, some days I have to kind of psych myself up and say, like, this is a business. And when we're treating it like a business, the most important thing, frankly, from a CEO's perspective, is I make it my job to know who on my team is good at what, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And we, frankly, celebrate that in the sense that I am not about to sit there and ask my dad to, you know, put something up on our website. Because, he won't, <laughs> right? But will I ask dad to sit there and think about, you know, we need to have this project scoped out and the storyboard kind of built out by then. Yeah, and he'll do it. So, I mean, from a purely operational standpoint, things run very smoothly. No, we haven't had any yet. Well, that no, would be a I milestone.
0: Think- <laughs> <laughs> we'll fire up a flare when it happens. But I think one of the, the the key things here is, and it went right back to how Aaron and I both, Started in the business. We both started in a startup. We Mm -hmm. both started with this. We didn't realize it at the time in an entrepreneurial environment where we were given the, the privilege of being in a place that you couldn't just do what you wanted, but you had to kind of be willing to be fearless if not courageous, that I see those as two different things. And at the same time, be nimble and ready to kind of embrace new ideas. All of that took, you know, that seed was planted 40, 30 years ago. And now we're seeing the effect of it. So, you know, there there will be a day when we're going to disagree on whether or not we should do that client or this podcast with that group. But it's not going to be because we're arguing or we're not listening. It's because to Aaron's point, we're being pretty clear about what our expectations are and we're willing and ready to be fearless, courageous at the same time. I didn't know that that's what, where I was going when we flipped the switch and started a broadcast CIUT, but I realize now that's where it all started. And I think we have both kind of grown up in that way to the point where, okay, we get it. We have, really great conversations. We call each other out when we need to, but wow. I mean, I'm so excited about the momentum that we've managed to um, gain in such a short period of time. Quite frankly, I'm not sure I could have done it without, you know, working with Aaron. I know that I couldn't have done it without her. Um, So there's an acknowledgement of that, that this, you know, Part of what she's doing certainly completes what I was already doing.
1: And and if I could just like kind of pull it all together for you, Connie, like there's something here about I, I want to emphasize because I started this by saying what I think I know I am at my core as a journalist and a broadcaster. But what I also now have learned about myself is that I am also an entrepreneur. And we tell this joke. In fact, we said this yesterday in our team meeting Um I said, every day I sit down and we do these team meetings and A, the docket fills up. So now we have to have way more team meetings than we used to just to keep track of everything that's going on in the company, which is fabulous problem to have. But I say, okay, today we are still building the plane while we're flying it. And that is what it feels like to be an entrepreneur. Every day you wake up and you build the plane as it's going. But that is also, just to give any you know context, that's what we do every day in the newsroom. We walk into the newsroom. What's going on today? How are we going to put this together? We got to have something by 6 o'clock or the top of the hour. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know any of this. We're going to go out into the field, and we're going to see what happens. We're going to use our skills. We're going to use our ability to contextualize, to observe, to poke, to prod, to be curious, And we're going to come out at the end with something. It might not be great. It might be amazing. It might be award-winning. It might be life-changing. But it's the same skill. And that's why sometimes I get disheartened when I see journalists who I know could just be killing it, doing their own thing, or leaping into something new. And they get so bogged down by feeling like, though this is the way it has to be. These are the rules I need to play by. And it's like, listen, you are by nature a natural rule breaker. Every day we're building the plane as we're flying it. And I think that's the approach that we take to Story Studio. And that's why it's been so fun. It hasn't, I mean, sure, there have been stressful moments and deadlines and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's pretty fun because it's it's exhilarating and it's giving us that, that feeling that we all somehow crave when we step into a newsroom without actually being in the newsroom environment.
2: Can you talk about how many projects you have right now in production? And are there any current or upcoming podcasts that you'd like to plug right now?
1: <laughs> how many projects do we have
0: well, on the you, you count them. And I'm just gonna suggest that um, a couple of the things that we're we're talking about right now, uh, early in the new year, is a, a show that Aaron hosts. It's called Why Meaning Matters. And it's a fascinating uh weekly show. The latest one's out today and it features two guys who run um, a a company that gets literally consults large corporations on the meaning of fill in the blank. And the the, uh, co-founder is a, a cultural anthropologist. And it's fascinating just to listen to how culture is being shaped by our own perception of what we perceive a meaning of, you know, picket uh, could be gender, uh, could be just uh, what do you, what do you mean when you say you're not feeling well? It sounds so mundane, but it changes and it shapes and informs culture. It's a, it's the coolest thing. And you know, 15 minutes at a time, it's kind of one of those shows that's, that's fun to do. And the only, the other one I would refer people back to, because it's going to be an issue, certainly as we get into election cycles around, across the country, Uh, is the 2030 project. And we're pursuing that one again with the Daily Bread Food Bank here in Toronto. Uh, We've got plans to uh, launch a new season. So we're just in the process of uh, laying out an editorial path there. So those are two that I think kind of give you a sense of where we are. And keep in mind, these are both branded podcasts. And the success of both of them is because the client stayed out of their way. They didn't get in their own way. They said, what do we want to talk about? How can we use the the journalistic brain to tell, their, to tell that message or to convey that message? And then they just let it happen. And the measure of success for me, Connie, is not whether or not somebody comes back to us and says, we'd like to re-up. The measure of success, and it's happened a few times now, where clients have come back to us and says, wow, I just listened to that whole podcast series again and I learned something. And they're excited about that. So to me, that's sort of that, that measure of success and back to Aaron's, you know, analogy around the newsroom. That's what you want to have happen in the six o'clock news, right? You want somebody after you've gone to all that work to tell and create that story. Somebody comes back and says, wow, I didn't know that. And I want to hear more.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I when I added up as of this moment in time, Connie, we have about half a dozen that are kind of in the pipeline at various stages. But what's also exciting and this is this is a format Talk about playing, playing with the format and breaking the rules is we're pioneering a a couple new strategies that are specifically geared for entrepreneurs and smaller organizations who, for whatever reason, don't want to commit to a weekly podcast, because let's be real, like even with a production team, a weekly podcast is an investment of time, energy, you know, you really got to kind of want to do it and who are what we would call podcast curious. So you want to test the medium, you want to see how you feel, you want to understand how it might resonate with your prospects, clients, audience, so on and so forth. So when we kind of count those, we're calling them pocket podcasts. And we're also working on a sales tool uh, to help businesses convert sales as well especially great for service-based entrepreneurs called a podcast funnel um, so this would go in conjunction with whatever kind of lead tool you're using or even an email funnel so on and so forth so when we kind of add all of that up we're we're into kind of around 10 uh, that are in the pipeline uh, which is why I I know we're going to have to grow in 2021. We're going to have to add staff um, to the mix because we've just got so much going on. Is there a thought
2: either of you want to close
1: on?
0: I would only say that I'm surprised by all of this. <laughs> and I and I say so because, you know, when I looked out at the, at the horizon five years ago and started doing the podcasting in a serious way, I thought this is unique and it's kind of quaint and it's boutique. The thing that surprised me is, and you know, we've been looking at the stats lately, the growth, the incredible growth in podcasting and audio on demand and not just audio on demand, but spoken word audio on demand has been exceptional. And I think Aaron made the point a little earlier. It only makes me understand and believe that the major broadcasters have not caught up. In fact, they're going to be overtaken by, podcasting and audio on demand before they know it, that the industry is going to be lapped. So, you know, again, for those of you who are in the industry, there is a, there is a space and a place for it. And, and as Aaron points out, we're kind of at the, the, the leading edge of this in terms of the wave really starting to, to really mount. Um, it's just, if you can get into it, get in, hold on, go for the ride. Cause it's just going to be fun.
2: Thank you both so much for joining us. Thanks, well, thanks for having us. Fun. Our thanks to Dave and Aaron Trafford. Story Studio Network is hosting a podcast potential masterclass and open house on February 8th. You can learn more in our show notes or at broadcastdialogue.com. For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Teeson.
0: Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast, or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud.
2: I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.